So she wanted me to remind you that Jen Fitzpatrick is still selling for the last week, selling the cards uh, that have like a, like, what are they, like coupon type cards, right? They have like, the, you know what I'm talking about, those things you buy that have different places you get percentages off, right? You know what those are. And all the proceeds, right, are going towards our youth and our youth camp. How many of you have ever been part of the uh, vintage youth camp, Riverstone Youth Camp in your lifetime? Have you ever been to that? Uh, it is one of the most uh, amazing things. In fact, I would say this. You may not know this. Okay, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you back 50 years or whatever. But and I want you to hear this. this. And this is one of those things to be a story for the other day. But we're literally sitting here today because of this summer camp. It's a true story. True story. God just began to pour His Spirit out. This youth camp over 50 years ago, giving into this massive work, this youth camp of First Methodist Marietta, in such a way that all of a sudden this new expression of Jesus and the expression of the Holy Spirit was all of a sudden expressed in this church, and all of a sudden something began to happen. And, and it was that group of people, this movement of the Spirit, who ultimately were the ones who left and went and started Wesleyan Fellowship, which is now Riverstone Church, which planted us. And so I'm telling you that this camp that we're a part of has this holy history. And so when you're buying, listen, when you're buying coupon cards to get 50% off at Moe's, it's literally investing into this history of God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm just letting you know that, right? That's a little weighty just for a coupon card, I know. But I want you to know it's something that's that really we believe in. It's something that has changed the life of uh, of well, listen, the leaders that the, 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 these many leaders at all the churches in our network were birthed out of this youth camp. Okay, I'm letting you know that so many. Rip Randall is a testimony, right? Of I'm not sure what happened there, right? But it's like no, but seriously, this great move of God's spirit into her life. She has stories to tell of just God moving in power. And so anyway. All that to say, I just encourage you to get those cards that's really investing in that and giving our youth, those who can't afford to go, giving opportunities to go, okay? So I want you to go purchase those today. Second thing, uh, Lori McMath, stand up, and Harvest uh, Grace Parker, stand up. All right, so just keep on standing up. Uh, you may not know this, but for the last three months, both of these have been kind of on a trial period, trial basis of coming and working at Vintage. We say trial because basically we knew we wanted them, but we wanted to make sure they wanted us. And so we gave them just a three-month trial period to see, hey, is this something that you want to do? And so Laureate Math is ultimately taking over Randall's position for the admin at Vintage, okay? Yes, yeah, so it's a good thing, right? Now it's not, now we're sad. Randall's still gonna be around, obviously. She can't go anywhere. Sorry, babe. Uh, but is it real? Listen, so hear this. If there's anything admin, administratively going on at Vintage, right? You wanna know about, you wanna know about certain things or anything going on at Vintage. For those of you who have Randall like on speed email or speed dial, I want you to shift all of that and stop contacting Randall, okay? At, at like the Saturday nights at like 10 p.m. and you're shooting her all sorts of text. Don't do that for Lori, but make it on Monday, okay? But seriously, everything as it relates to admin at Vintage is now going to go through Lori. That means she'll probably delegate it out, send you off to somebody else. But I want you to hear me. We're super excited, right? It's been a great three months, and she's committed and coming on, working about 15 hours a week for, for Vintage and doing admin. So we're excited about uh, Lori. Keep on standing Harvest. Now you may not know, but you know, you know, she got married. She got married to Timothy, made his life a lot better, right? 
uh, but the idea is when she came on back in November, listen, we talked, we sat down, this conversation, and she said, I'm really, I just would love to, to, to come in and, and get this trial basis of worship and leading vintage and see, see if it fits. And so we, we talked, and she's loving vintage. Praise God. That'd be really bad if she didn't. Uh, but, but she, as of this week, she said, yes, I would love to come in and be the, just this full-time worship leader at Vintage. And so Harvest will be here, yes. So Harvest will be leading worship, right? So everything that relates to worship, so as it relates to anything worship-wise, Harvest is the one to get in contact with, okay? So if you don't like something about worship, you still come to me, okay? All right? <laughs> but it's, no, just kidding. Seriously. If it, I'm just kidding. But as it relates to even sound and everything related to, to, to worship, that's what I meant. As it relates to sound stuff, okay? Things are going on. I want you to come and we talk. But as it relates to everything worship, Harvest is still our primary. She's our leader. She's the one God's raising up. She'll be discipling and leading our worship team. So with that, we're very excited to bring them on. So give them a round of applause. We're excited. All right. Very good. Yeah, we're excited. It's a great time at Vintage. Listen, guys, it's one of those things, you know, God is doing some great things here at Vintage. And we're excited about all the things and the teams that he's bringing together. Uh, it's just a great, great season. Just continue to pray for us, okay? As we add staff and as, as Randall shifts her, her place at Vintage, just pray in all of these areas, right, that God would be glorified, that we'll gel together, and, and that we can continue to serve God and to serve you well. It would be greatly appreciated. All right. So with that, if you have your baskets, just pass them down for our offering this morning. If you fill out a Connect card this morning, somebody asks you to uh, drop that into the basket, and we'll shoot you an email uh, this week, and um, we are glad that you were here. All right. So last week, just to kind of fill you in, we've been, we've been talking about this nature as, as the people of God emanating Jesus, the, the word emanate, right? Something coming from a source, like, like fire emanates heat, right? That we then are living our lives in ones who are carrying Jesus and therefore we are emanating Jesus everywhere that we go. We looked uh, last week and we looked at the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Remember, we looked at this prayer, this the, the passion and the zeal of Jesus who literally on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he is taking time and John just shows us the prayer and reveals this prayer. The entire chapter is the passion of Jesus' heart being exposed for the very ones that he loved. And who did he love? Well, he prayed for his disciples who had been with him on, during his three, time, his three years of ministry on the earth. And then he prayed for all of those, of those disciples or those after them who would believe in their message, which represents even us today. And so in John 17, it's this, this heart prayer of Jesus, passion of his heart being revealed as he shows his love for his disciples and he shows his love for us, listen, by praying for the things that he could see in the future. Do you see that? He's, he sees things in his, just in his wisdom and in his knowledge. He's looking forward and he's seeing things that to him are of utmost importance, and he's praying them. He sees them, he's passionate about them, therefore he prays them, knowing that as he prays, the Father will hear in heaven and will answer him. 
and he prays these things. And we, we named three things last week that he prayed for and was believing God for, believing Father for. The first one was oneness among believers, that all of them may be one Father, just as you were in me and I am in you, right? He's praying for oneness among the believers, that we would recognize, like he's praying just this oneness in our family, that we would put down all of our pride and selfishness and that we would give ourselves to one another. Basically the idea, the enemy, listen, the enemy who is very real, who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking those to devour and to kill, his primary agenda in the church is to cause division between you and the people sitting next to you. And Jesus is praying, he sees it, he sees the work of the enemy in the future, and he's praying, God, Father, oneness among believers. Second thing, he prays for oneness with Jesus and oneness with the Father. He says, may they also be, may they also be in us. The nature of adoption, right? Of being brought into the family of God. That we would live. He's praying, God, Father, may they be aware that we've adopted them, grafted, grafted them into the vine of the family. They would recognize, they would listen, that each of us would live in the reality of being sons of God and daughters of God. That would be a defining characteristic of every step of every day. Why? Because he knows that if we live unaware of our of our oneness with him and the family of God that it will keep us from our full potential. And so then when if you live in guilt every day or if you live in condemnation every day or if you live every day thinking that God's not pleased with you and you'd be working for him then he's create the enemy has moved in you to recognize you don't you don't recognize then who you are as children of God. And if you have children, think about the passion that you have for your children and the love that you have for your children and how you love to give good gifts to your children and how you love to bless your children, how your heart just melts within you when your children come into your presence, right? And he's saying, this is, this is what it's like for me every day. And when you sin and when you fall short of God, what does he do? He treats like the prodigal son. He says, I hear you, but I want you to recognize here's the coat of many colors in the ring. You're You're still part of my family. We are together. Right? We are one with Jesus and the Father. The second, third thing he prayed was that, now, Father, would this oneness lead to the world believing in Jesus? As we live in oneness with one another, and as we live in oneness with Father and Jesus, it causes us to emanate and to radiate God, and people are just drawn to the Jesus in us. They don't know why they're drawn. They don't know why they want to be with us. They don't ultimately know why they even like us. But there's just something in us that draws them. And Jesus is praying for this. God, that this oneness would lead to the world believing in Jesus. We are called to emanate. Now, let's shift to gears this morning. Now, I'm sitting here holding this flashlight, right? This is a flashlight. This is actually Scott's flashlight. It's not a, it's not a mag light. Actually, it's a little bit stronger, at least in a mag light. But we all know, like, these kind of flashlights, they're good for two things, right? They're good for shining light in the darkness and killing small animals, right? And so they do. You can just say, like, whap, right? This, you know, Scott's going hunting. He takes this in case some, you know, deer or some sort of duck comes too close. Instead of shooting, he just knocks it with this thing, right? And kills it. Listen, I have a big mag light. My, my, my mag light literally has, has killed, literally has, has killed small animals. 
animals. I'll never forget this one morning. I'm sitting there in the dusk, right? Just as the sun's coming, we can barely see. And my cat all of a sudden starts running from one side of the room to the other. I did not kill a cat. Don't worry. Right? My cat is chasing something. I'm like, what is that? And all of a sudden, as I kind of peer down, I see this little bitty field mouse come running through my, yes, our bedroom, right? And I'm like, get him, Samson, right? And I'm like, just like cheering for him. And all of a sudden, he like, I see him, the, the mouse goes flying up in the air. He, and he starts batting it around like, this is the best entertainment I've ever had in my life. And all of a sudden, the mouse lands and takes off. I'm like, oh, and I start chasing it down, right? But I still can't see, so I, I go and get my flashlight, my mag light, right? It's underneath the sink, and I grab it, I come out, and I'm like, where is he? Where is he? And Samson comes running through, and all of a sudden, Samson runs him into this wicker piece of furniture, and I see the mouse get dazed, and I go, whap, and I kill it, right? It's a great moment, right? It's a great moment, right? Flashlights, mag lights, lights like this are used for two purposes. Primarily, you're like, oh, the poor mouse, right? Peter came after me. It was really bad, right? But this whole deal, right? All of a sudden, boom, in the moment, light shines in the moment, and I can kill small animals. But the primary reason that we have flashlights is not to kill small animals. Now, I washed mine, by the way, just so you know, okay? But here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. Flashlights. They, they are created to shed light into darkness. That's what they do by nature. Light by nature is created to dispel darkness. When light, when light enters a room, darkness literally can't stay. If I turn my flash, this flashlight on this morning, what happens? All of a sudden, if I turn the lights off and I turn this flashlight on, boom, wherever I put this light, there'd be no darkness. It would shine on your face and I could see you. Why? Because darkness cannot stay. Light is created for the purpose of dispelling darkness. But every light that we have here on earth, it must have a power source, doesn't it? Every light on earth has to have a power source. This right here, I think it has batteries in it, right? There are rechargeable flashlights. There are, there are other lights. If you walk into a room, right, you take, your, you take the light switch and you turn it on, and the power source of electricity comes through. I mean, you know what it's like, right, when all of a sudden you, your light doesn't work. How many of you have ever, when the power's gone off in your home, kind of like you're sitting there, all of a sudden you go to the restroom, and you just instinctively turn the light on? And you get frustrated, like, what happened? You're like, oh, wait a second, I'm an idiot, right? Because the power's off. Why? There's no power source, therefore my light won't work. A flashlight without batteries has great potential, but no capability. A flashlight without batteries it's created, right? It's created to, to shed light. It's created to dispel darkness. But without a power source connected to it, it has unbelievable potential. But it has no capability whatsoever to shed light and ultimately to fulfill its purpose of dispelling darkness. It emanates light, but it can't do it without a power source. For us this morning, as we talk about the nature of emanating Jesus, and we talk about John 17 and, and fulfilling it, what I want you to recognize this is this. We, as followers of Jesus, followers of God, we cannot emanate Jesus in our own strength. 
As hard as we may try and as hard as we may try to do good things, as hard as we may work to, to serve him and to do great things, the ultimate reality is this. We cannot emanate Jesus. We cannot emanate the radiance of God apart from the power source of, of God in us. We need a power source. We need something to enable us to live the life that we've been called to live and ultimately to fulfill the purpose of emanating Jesus, of, of fulfilling. We, without a power source, there can't be oneness among believers. There can't be oneness with Jesus and Father. And there can't be oneness in the world to believing in Jesus through us emanating him. We need a power source. Jesus in John 17 speaks to the Father and says this, verse 22 and 23. says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus comes back at the end of this verse and he's praying the same thing. God, I'm praying for unity, right? That the world may know that you sent me. I'm praying for this unity. They may know that that I have loved them even as you have loved me. He's praying again for this unity. He's praying again saying, God, Father, I'm just praying for these things. I want there to be this oneness. But he gives us the source of this in verse 22. The source, the thing that leads to this, that makes this possible. Verse 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And herein we find the, the, the power source this morning that Jesus ultimately looks at, that he's ultimately getting to. He speaks about the glory of God being in him. And then through Jesus, the glory of God being in us. Verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. Now, a lot of us, we've heard this word glory. And glory is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. It has a, has, if you go and look at the definition of glory, it's a, it's a varied and, and just very rich meaning. I'm going to pull out some of these things this morning. The first thing that we see is the Greek. It's the word doxa, D-O-X-A. It basically means the radiance, this, this brightness, right? We all understand brightness and radiance. This, this deep shining thing, right? Right here. This, this, this right here, right? This right here, right? This is a big strong light, right? This, this, this is doxa, right? D-O-X-A. This is this bright shining thing. Great power. Like, listen, I'll bring it by you and you kind of close your eyes, right? That's the nature of a powerful light, right? This is Scott's light. This, if you might want to, I'll give it to you for a hundred bucks, okay? It's a great flashlight this morning, right? But the idea is that it radiates. It's this, this Greek doxa, D-O-X-A, this radiance. So we talk about God's glory in the New Testament. Usually that's what it means. This radiance, this brightness. We all understand the nature of light. First John 1 through 1 and 5 says, God is light. First John chapter one, verse five. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. There is no darkness. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. This is the nature of this, this New Testament understanding. We also get this word Shekinah. Shekinah is taken from the Old Testament. The Shekinah glory. It literally means dwelling. As in God's Shekinah glory, his dwelling glory. 
this dwelling presence, right? It means him coming and living, not just visiting someplace, but dwelling in and residing. Another word in the Old Testament is kabod. These are all kabod, as in ichabod, kabod, wait. The wait, it means kind of weightiness. And so putting all of these together, you take doxa, shining, you take shekinah, dwelling, and you take, uh, what's the last one I said, this, um, this last one I said, kabod, the wait. We put all of these together, and what we find Jesus saying is this about glory, He's saying God's presence and the weight of his presence, weight is felt. It's tangible, right? It's understood in us, right? Where we recognize the weight. If I come and put my, my hands on your shoulders, it's kabod. It's weight, right? We speak the kabod of God's presence. We get his presence. We get the knowledge of the weight of his presence and the brightness of his shining. This represents God's glory. This is the picture that we're talking about. So when Jesus comes and says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, what we see is that God came and he gave his glory to his son. He came with his presence, a tangible felt presence that shined like a light in him, that emanated from him, right? And it was a weight of dwelling. He could feel it, it shone through him, and it dwelt with Jesus. And so the picture I want you to see, and we take away glory this morning, is this understanding God's presence, His glory, His weighty presence, this light that shines come, had come and resided in Jesus. Right? The visible light and experiential presence of God on earth dwelt in Jesus. We see this picture throughout the Old Testament. This kind of foreshadowing of this moment. If you've ever read the Old Testament, remember the story of, of Exodus. It says they led the Israelites to the desert and they would, they came and they created this tent, right? The tent of meeting called the tabernacle. And what would happen every day? It says that the, the glory of God would hover over the tent. And as soon as Moses would come, as soon as Joshua would open the tent door and Moses would enter, says the presence of God, his glory, his physical seen glory and presence would descend. The people of God would immediately put their faces to the ground and begin to pray, basically that Moses wouldn't die. That's what they would pray, right? Because God's glory would come in Exodus 33 says that the God, that Moses would sit and speak face to face with God as a friend speaks with a friend, right? This, this glory, the presence of God, his weight coming and residing. We see it in Ezekiel. It says in the early Ezekiel, it says the, the spirit, the, the glory of God came into the temple. And then it says the glory of God left the temple. And then it says at the end, the glory of God came back, right? This picturing the presence of God, glory meaning the presence of God, his radiance, his brightness. We see Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Again, representing the glory of God and his presence dwelling in this man-built temple. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know that, that people would come to the temple and they would make sacrifices because they knew this place represented the place where God's presence dwelt. 
you know, think about the, the holy of holies and the, and the holiest place. This was the most, the most inter sanctum, inner sanctum of the, of the temple. And everyone knew, oh, that's where God's glory dwells. His presence, his weight, right? His weight, the presence, the tangible. You, can, you can't open your eyes because you, you can see it, right? And if you see it, you may die because it's so great, so magnificent. It would almost be like a tsunami overtaking you. Your body just couldn't handle it. And everyone knew it. But something magnificent shifted. Because in this moment... God said, no longer do I dwell in a house built by man, but I will make my residence in a man. My brightness, right, will be expressed. It will now emanate, and I will put it in Jesus. God no longer dwells in a house created by man, but instead indwells the heart of a man, exemplified in the person of Jesus. Do you see how the trajectory of humanity changed in that moment? No longer does God dwell in one place and that, that people come to. He dwells in a man who can roam the earth. We no longer come to God, but God has come to us. It's a beautiful picture of the shift that happens with the presence of God. We don't come to church to experience God. He has already come to us every moment of every day into our home so we can experience Him in this place. Everything has shifted. Everything has shifted. God's glory that used to reside in a temple now resides in a man. And Jesus said, listen, Father, I've given them the glory that you gave me. And that's the scandalous nature of, of John 17, verse 22, Jesus expresses in this verse that he received the glory of God, the manifest presence, the weighty presence, the overwhelming nature of God's light in darkness, right, to radiate. Jesus holds it, and then he gives it away. He gives it away. This is scandalous. He receives this unbelievable gift of God's presence. He says, oh, but God... I'm giving it away. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. You gave it to me, you in me, and now I'm going to be in them, meaning your glory, your weight, your kabod, right? All of the nature of your presence now dwells in them. And so in this moment, Jesus' disciples and every disciple who would believe after them, their inheritance, our inheritance as children of God, is that his glory, the glory of God, now resides in us through the person of Jesus. This means the, listen, this means the full radiance, majesty, magnificence, and overwhelming kabod, the overwhelming presence of the living God dwells in us. Jesus said, hey, you need a power source. Let me give you the glory of God. This is filled with batteries. But if this represented us, what would fill us and empower us to do this would be God's presence, God's glory, God's fullness radiating in us, radiating 
through us, right? That we can emanate and radiate the glory of God. For listen, remember, He is light, and it must fulfill its purpose of dispelling darkness. Light must get out. Light must emanate. Light must dispel darkness in our lives and through us in the lives of those around us. And we are only able to emanate Jesus effectively because of the glory of God in us. So herein again is John 17. Jesus's heart for his friends is revealed. He comes in the moment and he prays for them. For he knows they will only be complete. They can only be empowered if they receive God's glory. He prays it because, remember, he sees it in the future. He sees the need. And his longing is that we would be empowered and enabled in the exact, listen, he prays that we would be empowered and enabled to emanate, G, to emanate him, to emanate Father, just in the exact same way that he was enabled and that he actually expressed in his life. This, my friends, right, is amazing, amazing. He gave us his power source. And apart from it, we would be just like a light without a power source. With full potential, full potential, and no capability. And Jesus looks, and I want to kind of just paint this picture. Jesus prays this because he knows that we will have a power source. He knows that those who believe in him will have it. But he also knows that we will not emanate it well. That things will come up, things will get in the way, that our life will get in the way, our jobs will get in the way, that our children will get in the way, our parents will get in the way, our fears will get in the way. And all of these things will hinder, right? They will literally, if we are to radiate, right, if we're to be like the moon, the biggest, the best picture really of this is that we are supposed to be like the moon, that we are so turned toward the sun that it radiates off of us and then we are a conduit through which his power moves, right? We reflect the fullness of God. And if we are not turned towards him, then we can't fully radiate, right? We must be people. He's praying, God, I've given them my power source. I've given them your glory. They need to be turned so that they can reflect the fullness of your rays and to emanate it to those who are around them. I'm praying that they will be awakened to this, right? This is sobering. It's sobering because we know that we don't do it well. It's exhilarating to know that it's possible. It's sobering to know that we're not doing it well. It's exhilarating to know that it's a possibility and a probability, and in fact, it is our calling. And so what I want to do this morning, I'm just going to kind of dive into John 17. I want you to see just three things this morning, three expressions, three expressions, right, that we are of being bearers of his glory, of being bearers of his divine presence, of being the one who reflect, right, the radiance of God's fullness that now dwells in us just as it dwelled in Jesus. Three things, three expressions of his glory in our lives. Number one. We see the glory to manifest the divine power. We have the glory in us, the presence of God, the fullness of God to manifest. You know what I mean to manifest, to make real, to make present, to make manifest the divine power. 
See, the reality of God filling Jesus with his glory, his radiance, and his fullness now meant that humanity, I've already said this, didn't have to go to where God was. Remember, God came to man, God filled man, God through Jesus, right? God through Jesus was now sent to humanity. Remember, Jesus didn't say, hey, everyone come to me. And we see stories of Jesus leaving, going to people's houses, going to sit with sinners, going to people's homes, going over here down the street. And what did he do? He went to where there was brokenness, right? And and he expressed the glory of God. The divine power was expressed in his life, right? The glory of God to manifest divine power. He went. God sent him his glory, his presence, it now resided in him. And his divine power could be manifest through him, just as it can be for us. That's the nature of light, right? It goes forth. Light doesn't say, come to me and I'll shine. No, light goes forth. And it dispels darkness, right? And enables people and empowers them to live life. Isn't that the nature of what light does? It radiates people that shines a light so that, oh, I can now walk in the presence where darkness used to be. This is the nature here, isn't it? All of a sudden, God's glory. Matthew 4, 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned, right? Listen, Jesus came. The glory of God shone through him and all of a sudden emanated to a broken world lost in darkness. And now they could actually have life emanating from him. God's glory emanated through Jesus and now his glory emanates through us empowers us, right? He is our power source. And the thing I want you to recognize, if he is our power source, you have to recognize that that we are in a battle. And the weapons of our warfare, they are not fashioned by men. They are fashioned by God. And we cannot wield them. I mean, we cannot use them. We don't know. We in our own strength, we can't pick up the sword that God has given us. It's too big for us. Can you imagine, right? The William Wallace sword, like the one I have in here. If I went to a two-year-old and said, pick up this sword and use it. I can't. I can't. I need someone else's strength. Dad, I need your strength. And a Catherine, Sarah, let me give you my strength. And somehow I'm like, get into them. And all of a sudden this two-year-old goes, bring it on. Bring it on. Gives us the power to wield the weapons of warfare, to manifest his divine power. As Jesus lived his life, God's power was released through him to heal the sick, to preach boldly, right? To fight for the oppressed, to fight for the oppressed. And it was great fruit from his ministry because God's presence emanated from him. Today, as carriers of God's glory, filled with divine power source, we make present in life. The divine power of God to those that are in need. We manifest the glory of God. We, we wield this power source of God's presence and all of a sudden we become light and darkness helping those who are in need. The second thing is we, is the glory to display God's traits. We've been given the glory to display God's traits. The material world expresses, listen, we all understand, the material world expresses the natural beauty of God. 
You see a waterfall. You see a, you see, you see this, the birth of a child. A, a, a man sees a beautiful woman before, of course, before he's married. He never recognized a beautiful woman outside of marriage, before marriage, right? Outside of marriage, or in marriage. I mean, because whole nature, right? Just like the beauty of God naturally being expressed through creation. What God created. We see the beauty of God. But the, the reality for us as human beings who know Jesus is that, that the beauty of God is expressed through us in revealing his moral beauty. We reveal in us his moral beauty, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his justice, his love, his kindness, all these components. We become bearers, right, of the morality of God, the moral traits of God, the beauty of his moral traits, giving grace to those who don't deserve. That's what Jesus expressed, right? Again and again, expressing a heart of compassion, expressing grace, telling people, love your enemies just as he did, right? Turn the other cheek just as he did, right? Walk an extra mile just as he did to sacrificially give to anyone who is in need and to love sinners, right? We are expressing the moral beauty of God. And the thing that we must know is this. He emanated the morality of God only by the power of God's glory inside of him. Morality isn't something you just teach your children so they can do. No true morality being expressed in life is the trait of God, the glory to manifest God's beauty, his moral beauty, is something that's only birthed out of God. Teach morals and pray for your children that they would emanate God's glory. If you want your children to be moral beings, stop trying to beat it over their heads and pray the Holy Spirit into them. Pray salvation. Pray Jesus into them in fullness, right? Only God can emanate the glory of God's traits, his moral beauty, and the lives of those who are around. Only through his power can we emanate the beauty of God's morality and God's traits. We must, and people are, listen, and people are drawn to that. People are drawn to morality. When you live life correctly, morally, people think that you're strange and they're drawn to you. It's the nature of God's glory emanating from us. And the third thing, the glory of being God's children. We have the glory of being God's children. Romans 8.15 You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership of being God's child. And we cry intimately, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. You've been grafted in the family vine. Listen, how many of you remember growing up that family that if you were honest, as much as you loved your family, you just wish you could be part of their family too? Right. What was, what, I don't know what happened in that family, but their their mom was just a little bit cooler than your mom, a little bit nicer than dad. I mean, it was just, he was just really funny. Right. And they just like he actually got along with their siblings and they had a lot of fun together. And they seemed to had a they had better things in their house and be, their dinners were always better. Their vacations were always better. I mean, yeah, you felt a little bit guilty because you loved your family. But reality is that this family is a little bit cooler, a little bit better than yours. And something emanated from that family that caused you to want to be a part of that family. This is what happens with God. 
You've been given the glory of being God's children, and people just want to be a part of your family. You see in Acts 2.47, it said the people of God who are meeting the temple enjoyed the favor of all the people, and people were added daily to their number. People would walk into the temple and go, whoa, man, they look like they're having a, they're, something, something's happening with those people. Man, they're being really nice to each other. What's going on over here? And all of a sudden they saw the nature of oneness among believers, right? People just loving one another well. They saw this oneness that people had with God. They, just, they just loved God, right? They loved Yahweh. What was that? A, there was something that emanated from them. Like, I just want to be part. Like, I love my family over here. That's really cool, but I want to be part of this family, right? They were drawn to them. They were drawn to the oneness of the family. They were drawn to the oneness that they had as adopted sons and daughters. And people said, I just want to be part of this family. And thousands were Added to their number, on a, I don't know, if on a, at least on a weekly basis, right? People being drawn to the family of God because they're emanating God's glory. God had given them the glory of being a part of his family, and people just wanted to be a part of it. People should walk in the doors at a church service on Sunday morning where believers are gathered, and they should never want to leave. Because there's such a oneness with you actually turning around and having a conversation with the person next to you where you actually like them and want to know what's going on in their life. And when you stand up, you actually embrace with a hug and you listen when you ask them the question how they're doing. Because you're not doing this as social courtesy, you're doing it because you care. Because there's a oneness. You don't just run out the door real quick to get out of here on Sunday or just sneak in the back, right? You actually engage people and preferably become part of a small group and invite people to it so you can emanate the love of God there. God's glory emanated in the way that you love people and love one another. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says, You are the light of the world. You are a city on a a city. You're a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Neither do people light light this flashlight and put their hands over it. It doesn't make any sense. A flashlight does not work well when something is covering it. It has to be released, right, to shine. It gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let the glory of God, your light, shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds, that they may see the way you love one another, and they may praise your Father in heaven. This morning, we have unlimited limited potential if we know Christ we have the capability but are we utilizing it are we turned towards the sun that we may reflect and radiate the goodness of God in 1777 a man by the name of Alexander Mather wrote a letter to John Wesley the founder of Methodism the great Methodist revival of England and he wrote this letter to, 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 to John because he was, he was struggling because there didn't seem to be the same zeal and passion among the pastors, the Methodist clergy, that there had been in the beginning just a couple of years before. And he writes this, and, and, and John Wesley writes this letter back and says, No, Alec, no. The danger of ruin to Methodism does not lie here. It springs from quite a different quarter. Our preachers, many of them, are fallen. They are not spiritual. They are not alive to God. They are soft. 
They are drained of energy. They are fearful of shame. They're fearful of hard work. And they're fearful of hardship. They have not the spirit which God gave to Thomas Lee at Pateley Bridge or to you at Boston. Basically, Thomas Lee had literally preaching the gospel. People got so angry, they took him, picked him up, and they threw him to an open sewer. He landed on his back to the point that he thought he broke his back. They brought him out, he found healing, and then he started preaching the gospel of Jesus again. Now put the next part up. This is the part that I want you to see. And then John Wesley said this part. He says, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. John Wesley said, We've been given the glory, the radiance of God. It is present for us, Jesus in us, the glory of God in us. But we have gotten too fearful. We've lost our energy. We're too afraid to fight. We're too afraid to experience hardship. We're too afraid that people tell us that we're idiots. We're too afraid of people in our church thinking we're weird, putting our hands saying to you with hearts abandoned, whatever it may be. We're too afraid to get outside of our comfort zones. We're too afraid to be part of a small group. We're too afraid to be nice to people at Walmart. We're too afraid of whatever it may be. We take God's glory. We do this and say, God, we just want it for ourselves. We want to hoard it for ourselves. And, God, and, and John Wesley would say, then you can't be part of the hundred. Give me 100 preachers. Give me 100 people. He gets that later, right? Who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I don't care a straw whether they be clergymen or non-clergy, right? Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Father, we pray this morning for sobriety. We pray this morning, Jesus, that we would recognize the call of God upon us to shine the glory that already resides in us. God, unlimited, unlimited potential. But, and we have the capability, but Father, we're not turning towards you. We're not, we're not looking to you. God, we're not embracing you. We're not turning on, God, this light inside of us. God, we are hiding it. That was the prayer. It was the great fear, quote unquote, that you had. Gee, God, I see ahead and I see the church and I see how they're not radiating. And I'm praying that they would recognize that the glory that's in me is now in them. Father, we ask this morning for this radiance to shine, that you would create sobriety in hearts and that we would turn to you. Father, we pray this in your holy name. The word of the Lord this morning and the season that we're in is very simple, guys. It's, 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 I, as I, I want you to know that as I sit down with the Lord, he meets me. It's a season of his nearness, right? I sit down with him and I'm undone. I sit down with him in his presence and I can, I can see him, right? There's a nearness I'm hear, of hearing his voice, of knowing his presence, right? It's a, it's a crazy season. I said I went through two and a half months feeling completely unanointed. I don't feel that right now. 
God's spirit began to move a couple of weeks ago. And all of a sudden there's this stirring. And I recognize this stirring that he's doing of hunger. This stirring that he's doing of calling. Of his glory being present. He's saying, I'm simply looking for people who will turn to me. Who will spend time with me. Who will make me a priority. Who will fear sin. What he means is not fear is like, oh my gosh. But who will fear the idea of saying, God, I don't ever want to give myself to that again, God, may it never happen. I turn towards you. God is looking for a people who will shift. There is a spiritual shift that's already occurred in the heavenlies. That sounds weird to you. So be it. God has shifted something here at Vintage. He shifted us into a place of saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you myself. Come to me, turn, and I will shine on you, right? My light is already present. It's there to emanate. My glory is in you through Jesus. This morning, you need to work in a sense of this hard work of saying, God, I'm turning, I'm turning, and then you enable my turning, God, to look to you and to shine and to radiate Jesus, to radiate your glory, to emanate you. I'm no longer going to fear the work of the enemy. God spoke a couple weeks ago and said, yes, maybe there's a time of sifting coming. Maybe there's a, uh, Maybe the enemy is moving. But God's never scared of the enemy moving. God is never scared. That's why he says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. I've come to give you a place of refuge and of rest. As the onslaught of the enemy comes, there is joy. Inexpressible. Unlimited. Through Jesus. As we turn and stop focusing on self and turn to him. The fear of turning of what if he does not shine on me, which is what some of us feel. But we turn anyway, and he shines. The glory of the Lord is present, and he wants to move. This morning, I want you to respond as you feel led. If you need to leave, you can. We have the altar available here. Ministry teams available. We have communion available. I want you to respond as the Lord leads this morning, but I want you to respond God, I want to radiate you and your glory to shine through me. Jesus, have your way in us. Amen.